the best way that I could say to describe that is our fan ambassadors, because they're they're fans just like we are, and they're the ones who are on the front lines interacting with our guests every day, and they're so knowledgeable, and they can they can talk about the traditions, and they can talk about the passion, and they can talk about the rivalries, and they can really engage our guests in a way that kind of brings that that feeling, that kind of game day emotion, kind of brings it to the surface as you're experiencing the Hall of Fame. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. This episode is kindly sponsored by Attractions.io, the guest experience platform behind Merlin Entertainment's San Diego Zoos, and the PGA Championships branded mobile apps. And just like us, the team at Attractions.io is on a mission to elevate the guest experience and ensure that they exceed the expectations of today's digitally native guests. By combining a branded mobile app with an operator console that consolidates behavioral data from every touch point in the guest journey, the Attractions.io platform empowers operators with the tools they need to increase guest satisfaction, spending, and loyalty. And to learn more about how Attractions.io can help you connect your end-to-end guest experience, visit attractions.io slash how it works. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic and ready to kick off this episode. Oh, all right. Should we sing the national anthem? Uh, Maybe we'll save that for later. Um, I I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but you probably could. You could probably sing it very well. Um, I don't know. Maybe I can learn to play it on piano. (laughs) You could. I'm sure you could. Um, I have a question. Everything is figure outable. I've heard that somewhere before. Um, but I have a question for you. Okay. And it's not, can you sing the national anthem? Okay. Um, did you play or did you follow any sports, uh, as you grew up? Uh, yeah, I played and followed. I feel like I've been a lifelong baseball fan. Uh, so I've followed baseball all my life. I played sports when I was a kid. I played, uh, tennis and, uh, Played basketball. I um my my freshman year of high school, I, I played varsity tennis and varsity basketball, and then uh, my sophomore through senior year, I was on the ski team. Uh, snow skiing, water yeah. skiing. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in Michigan. Well, I didn't realize that there would be a ski team. There was a ski team. <laughs> the ski hills in the Metro Detroit area are converted landfills. Okay. Uh, that are now ski hills. So I learned how to ski on the landfills of Detroit. Would you ever go to this, the landfill skiing hall of fame? I sure hope so. It would be an honor to be in the landfill snow skiing hall of fame. Why do you ask? And by the way, did you play and or follow sports growing up? I definitely did both. Um, I had, I've played football since I would think I was in like fourth grade as, as soon as I could. Um, I signed up for football and played all the way through my sophomore year in high school. Um, When I was a sophomore, between my sophomore and junior year, uh, I kind of had to decide if I was going to play football or be in marching band Um, Mm. because you couldn't do both at the at the school I was at. So I had chosen I figured at this point, even though when I was growing up, I really wanted to be a professional football player like that's that was my dream. But my body didn't agree. My body was a little too small, a little too slow. I just didn't have the physical attributes. Um, so I figured my career was probably going to go somewhere in music or somewhere other than football. So I decided that I would play um, uh, play in the band versus uh, finish out my last two years of, of high school football. You played drums in the band? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Which, which drum? Because you can only do like one. You can't have like a whole drum set. You can't have a whole drum set. Although there, there are... Um, 
marching bands that have drum sets in their pit, if you will. Mm. This this is a whole different podcast, but um, I played snare drum, I played cymbals, I played bass drums, and I played tri and quad toms. So I had either three or four toms in front of me. Um, and actually, so brief um, side note, I actually took band in college as a physical education um, credit because there's marching band, because there's so much physical um, physical activity that they consider that a, a physical education credit. Wow. Yeah. Marching band is a sport. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so yes, I played football. I played baseball. I played a little bit of soccer, um, have always followed uh, football, uh, followed baseball as I was growing up. Not so much uh, now, um, but definitely football. And um, uh, what's fascinating to me about our, our guest today is she talks a lot about college football and there's a lot of parallels between college football and, 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 um, and pro football. But what I love to hear uh, Kimberly Bowden, who is our, our guest today, talk about is the fans right and the fandom and the and the way that people kind of carry on traditions and and you know you you um follow teams because of you know your your parents may have and there's a generational aspect to it um and i think there's that same kind of thing in in sports whether you are growing up and if your parents played sports or they're okay with your playing sports then you're probably you know probably going to go into it um but if your parents are not or if that's not part of what your family does then that may not be something that you're necessarily attracted to so um, I th found that to be a fascinating part of this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned our guest, Kimberly Bowden. She is the chief executive officer of the College Football Hall of Fame, which is located in downtown Atlanta, uh, right there in, in Centennial Park and mixed a number of other attractions as well. And yeah, you mentioned the, you know, the lifestyle that, uh, you know, that college football brings. And sometimes it's individuals, sometimes it's the entire families. And uh, we, we get to hear how that extends into both the guest and an employee experience at the College Football Hall of Fame. Because if somebody, uh, she said, she said what they strive for is really to meet the full spectrum of fandom from those who are diehard, hardcore college football fans to maybe their family member who was dragged into the museum by them. And she said that that a lot of the reviews they get was, you know, I had no interest in college football. My my spouse, my partner dragged me to the museum and I had just had such a better experience than I thought I was going to have. So it's it's interesting I uh, hear her talk about how they create that full guest experience to match a wide variety of, of guest demographics. One of the things that I love she talked about as well is, is about that game day energy. When we talk about the employee experience and a lot of the employees are college football fans, they make it feel like it's game day when you're when you're walking in the door and she describes what that experience is like. And whether you're a fan or not, that game day energy really just just gets your blood pumping, right? It, it really just just gets you moving and gets you feeling good. So she talks about how they replicate that at the museum. Uh, and then she gives uh, she gives her four C's of leadership, which you'll have to hear her talk about and, and go into detail on uh, on what those are and, and examples of using them. You know what parallel I drew as she was talking about um, the fandom and the fans that are employees and the and the fans that are coming to the museum? is Harry Potter yeah. because you and I were both at universal when, when, you know, Harry Potter first opened and there were definitely people that came in and saw the wizarding world and thought that they had, you know, just come into this incredible world that they had been reading about. They'd seen on movies and now they were there. Right. And there was an energy to that. And I think that's really, really cool. Kimberly also talked about the fact that she didn't want to hire people that are just football fans, right? Because it's still a business. It's still about hospitality. It's still about guest service. It's still about the experience. And so if you have someone that all they want to do is talk about college football and not perform the job duties, well, that's not a, a good recipe, recipe for success. At the same time, when you think about Harry Potter fans, and this is nothing against Harry Potter fans, but if somebody wants to get a job at Universal and they're a Harry Potter fan, and all they want to do is talk about Harry Potter and the movies and the books and, and all those different things, but they can't greet a guest or they can't serve a butterbeer or they can't, you know, whatever the whatever the job is, then the balance is off. And I, I really kind of felt that parallel as she was talking about people that work at the museum. And yes, you want to bring that game day experience but you also have a business to run. You have to get people through the museum and, and seeing the different facets of the Hall of Fame. 
So now you've got my gears turning. And whether we're talking about that Harry Potter fan getting a job at the Wizarding World at Universal or a college football fan getting a job at the College Football Hall of Fame, it's almost like you need to meet the guest where they're at. Because you're going to meet those that, you know, that Harry Potter fan working at Universal is going to meet that Harry Potter fan that meets or exceeds their level of fandom. And same thing at the College Football Hall of Fame. And you're also going to have the more, uh, what's the word, uh, fair weather or, or sort of like armchair fans type yeah. of thing that maybe there's a general interest and and you want to serve the guest where they're at and the way that they want to experience their own level of fandom. And perhaps it could be, it could be elevated, it could be exceeded, but that's part of the the consideration of of the job duty. I would also think that's a big challenge, right? Especially when you have something that could be as polarizing as a Harry Potter or college football. Um, because again, you've got those diehard people that this is what they are and this is what they live and, and it is a lifestyle for them. It could be a lifestyle of Harry Potter, just like it could be a lifestyle for college football. Um, you know, the people that are coming in with their own robes that are you know coming in in costume and things like that. The the people that are coming into the College Football Hall of Fame all decked out and maybe their faces already painted with their with their school colors and you know I just think that there's a there's a challenge there for employees also because maybe you are that college football fan and you really want to get into it with that that one person and talk to them. And, and as Kimberly says, talk a little smack and, you know, kind of have the, you know, the rivalry conversations, but maybe they're with their family and maybe their family is just kind of standing there going, okay, can we move on to the next thing? Right. So I think there is a balance. I think there's, as we talk about reading the room um, and figuring out that, that sweet spot of talking the smack, having the interaction, but also allowing them to go experience the, the facility and making it the best you can be for everybody. Mm -hmm. So do you think that this is the first time somebody has drawn this level of a parallel between Harry Potter and college football? I think it's the first time on this podcast. It definitely is. And we could probably explore this topic just in and of itself for a long time. But I think we should uh, we should return the kickoff here and get into this interview with Kimberly Bowden. Score! Hello, Kimberly. Welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing really, really well. Thank you. Absolutely. So excited to have this conversation. So Kimberly, as we get started, can you give us a little background into your, your history and your career? Well, it's definitely not a linear path. That, that's <laughs> usually how I start out. Um, I've definitely spent some time in some interesting industries, um, but my career started at Disney. Um, it's where I got the hospitality and the attraction bug for sure. So after I graduated from college, I moved to Atlanta and was hired at Turner Broadcasting in their ad sales department. Really thought, you know, that's a great place to start my career, going to focus on ad sales. And about four years in, a mentor knew about my Disney background and my marketing background and asked me to step in and run the CNN studio tour, which I did for another four years, which was amazing. Um, talk about a 45-minute commercial that people pay to see. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. And, you know, and uh, no overhead. So it was, uh, and it was Ted's baby. So he loved having the CNN studio tour um, in the building. And I think when I left CNN is kind of when I transitioned into sports. So um, I've always been a sports fan. Um, I worked for the hockey team, the NHL team here in Atlanta, the Thrashers and the NBA team, the Hawks. So I actually was the director of marketing for both teams simultaneously. So there were a few years there that uh, I didn't do much in the fall and winter for sure. Um, and that's about the time I got married and said, I need balance. So um, I went to a company called Earthlink for a period of time to build a sports marketing program, uh, Best Laid Plans. Uh, they decided not to have a sports marketing program. And I ended up uh, in their um, direct to consumer marketing department. So I was running outbound telemarketing and direct mail campaigns, trying to convert uh, dial-up customers way back when um, to uh, high-speed internet. But I wouldn't trade the experience. I mean, talk about getting another arrow in your quiver that you never thought you'd have. And but from there, I had an opportunity. I had an offer to go work for a family-owned company called Arrow Exterminators. And I was like, I am not going to work in pest control. Um, but I did. 
And I spent seven years there. I loved it. Um, did a lot of, you know, I was their VP of marketing and communications, did a lot of sports marketing while I was with them. Um, and then I landed here se seven and a half years ago. Excellent. So definitely not, not linear. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like you said, it, you know, it hasn't been a linear path, but let's talk about the, the last seven years. Can you talk about uh, kind of your time with the College Football Hall of Fame and how you grew into the CEO role? Uh, yes, absolutely. So when I heard about the job, first of all, that they were hiring a VP of marketing and communications, and that's, that's the job I was hired into, um, I was like, so you're telling me it's hospitality, it's marketing, and it's sports, you know, when do I start? And so I, you know, I really knew that this was the job for me. Um, I guess they agreed, thank goodness. And, you know, I think that I evolved into from marketing, I took over some of the revenue roles. So I had group sales, you know, sponsorship sales, and then the event team came under me. So once I kind of had all the revenue, I was running, you know, pretty much, you know, half the business. And when the current CEO said, he was kind of ready to move on. He'd done his stint in nonprofit and was ready for what was next. Um, so that was in November of 19. You know, put my hat in the ring and they went through a national search and they offered me the job in March of 20. Great timing. <laughs> Great timing indeed. Um, I want to get into that uh, portion, uh, Kimberly, of your career and sort of what that meant. But I also want to go back just for a second, because you've had a lot of marketing roles. And I'm mm -hmm. just curious, what was it that drew you um, to marketing in the first place? The creativity, you know, and the fact that it's so, it's such a diverse field. It's not like you're going to be a lawyer and you're going to do this or a doctor and you're going to do this. And with marketing, there's so many disciplines within marketing. And so I never felt siloed or, you know, kind of put into, you know, one bucket and I had to focus on that, except for the whole telemarketing thing. But um, for the most part, it, it just was such a broad um, area of responsibility. And, and I like that. It kept, kept me uh, excited and kept me engaged. You know, with uh, most of the jobs I've had have been in smaller organizations or more entrepreneurial organizations. And so you get to wear a lot of hats and, and that's really what I like. So you took on the role of CEO in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then well, we all know what happened in, in March of 2020. So would, would love to talk about that, but maybe even tying in your marketing background did, you know, a lot of people said that there were a lot of rules of marketing that were thrown out the window at, you know, at, at the beginning of the pandemic and sort of scrambling to, to reshape what it actually looks like, particularly, you know, while, while the venue is closed, while the venue is, is perhaps reopening. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about uh, sort of using your background to start a new role in now and in, in an environment that none of us had ever encountered before? Sure. You know, two things happened. Um, prior to us reopening. And the first was, obviously, we were shut down uh, due to the pandemic. And the second was um, Atlanta experienced some pretty significant civil unrest um, during the George Floyd timeframe. And the Hall of Fame was significantly damaged um, during um, that civil unrest. And so, you know, we were kind of facing a couple of challenges. And I think whether it was the marketing background, or just the overall communications background, it was very much, we're gonna turn this into a positive and we're going to kind of be a part of the solution and we're gonna shape our messaging going forward um, and share the stories of College Football Hall of Famers that, you know, that broke tremendous barriers. And so once we reopened, um, we opened with an HBCU exhibit that really told the story of HBCUs in college football and really felt like, we just needed to share as much as we could about our Hall of Famers and about what was going on, you know, in, in, or while all that was going on in such a time of, of turmoil. And then we also felt like we were a place where people could just let go, right? I think all of the attractions really felt like people need a break and we can provide that break in a very safe um, and well thought out way. And that was another important part of the message. We had 95,000, we have 95,000 square feet and said plenty of room for social distancing. Definitely. Yeah. Um, 
so Kimberly, can you kind of walk people through a little bit about the experience at the uh, College Football Hall of Fame for people who have never been there or don't know what to expect when they go? I think that more than a game, more than a museum really speaks to the experience. Number one, college football is more than a game. You know, people are passionate. People are dedicated to their team. It is definitely a cradle to grave experience in in many, many, many families. And the museum is so unexpected because it blends historical artifacts with cutting edge technology to provide this completely immersive experience into the game. And then also we have, you know, the hallowed ground of the Hall of Fame, which allows us to honor the greatest of the great. So it's uh, very interactive. We have um, the entire building is RFID enabled. So when you come into the Hall of Fame, you give us your first name, your last name, your email address, and you get to choose your school. We have a three-story helmet wall. And when you choose your school, it lights up your helmet and it stays lit for the rest of the day as a beacon to other fans that come in. So Josh, we'd get that UCF helmet you know, lit up and, and it would shine brightly for the rest of the day. And so that is a huge fan favorite. And as a result, we're also getting a lot of very usable data. Um, and then because they've activated their RFID, they've associated themselves with the RFID chip on their badge. As they move through the museum or through the experience, it personalizes the content. So Josh, do you want to sing the UCF fight song? Josh, do you want to pick UCF to win um, at the college game day desk? Josh, do you want to read about the Hall of Famers from UCF? There aren't any right now, but there will be. And, uh, you know, so it's a very, very personalized experience. Hmm. Well, first of all, yes to all those questions and go next. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious, as far as the, the guest demographic, can you walk us through as far as what that looks like? Do you need to be a college football fan to visit? Are there families that come visit where maybe there's someone that's coming with, maybe maybe one person is that fan borderline fanatic and maybe they're bringing the rest of the family with them. I've got to imagine that you probably want to cater to the, the full spectrum. Can you talk a little on that? You know, I think you kind of hit the, you did hit on one of our biggest challenges, and that is our name is not necessarily as representative of our product. You know, people hear Hall of Fame and and their mind kind of goes in one direction. And again, that's kind of why we're like, we're not, you know, it's more than a museum. We have so many reviews saying, you know, I got drugged there by my boyfriend and I had an amazing time. You know, I'm not a football fan, but I had an incredible time. And so, no, you do not have to be a football fan to come and to have a wonderful time. And, you know, we definitely try to message that in terms of, you know, there's something for everyone. Um, And as, you know, City Pass and some of those other opportunities have even brought international visitors through, that's really fun to see because they are not as uh, aware or immersed into um, college football. I had a a similar experience, I guess you might say, when I was in Nashville and I went to the Country Music Hall of Fame. My wife is a big country music fan. I'm not. Um, But I went and I wouldn't say I'm a country music fan now, but I have a a much deeper appreciation for country music and the artists and things like that. So I would imagine somebody could come to the the, the College Football Hall of Fame and they have a similar type of experience, right, where they have a deeper appreciation for the history and the and the. the barriers that have been broken and things like that. that you- yeah, well, and, and the pageantry, right? I mean, right. the, you know, it's a three-story facility. Our our first floor is a 45-yard indoor playing field. Um, so you, you actually get a healthy respect for kickers when you, when you try to kick a field goal and quarterbacks, when you, you know, you try the, the long toss, um, definitely not as easy as it looks. And, uh, and then the second floor is really dedicated to that lifestyle I talked about all the, all the fun and, and pageantry and traditions that surround the game from tailgating, I mentioned fight songs, you know, face painting, um, and then kind of as you, as you move around the experience, it moves into team chemistry and coaching trees and, and what it takes to be a student athlete. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a very, like I said, immersive experience that gives people a deeper understanding, especially if they weren't a fan to begin with. Yeah. Kimberly, one of the things that you mentioned a few minutes ago was about blending, kind of telling telling the stories, telling the history, sharing those uh, with cutting edge technology. Can you talk a little on that and the way that you're able to share the story, share the history and, and share the experience through cutting edge, te- cutting edge technology? Yeah, absolutely. I think the Hall of Fame is probably the, the best example of that. Most Halls of Fame typically just have a bust 
you know, or a plaque and, you know, some statistics and the name and when they played. Our Hall of Fame has uh, augmented reality viewers that allow, again, you would walk up and it would ask, you know, deliver that personalized content. The Hall of Famers from your school is also searchable, you know, completely searchable by position, by year, by school. Um, but it this technology allows us to provide you an entire summary of their career, their college career, all of their accolades, video highlights, you know, all kinds of clips. So you really get to know the player or the coach versus just kind of reading a name and a plaque and moving on. So that's, people just love that. So maybe, you know, for somebody who is not as familiar with college football and how someone gets into the college football hall of fame, can you kind of explain that process? Because there's, hundreds of people playing college football, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not all going to get into the Hall of Fame. So how does that process work in terms of who you have in there and who you highlight? Absolutely. And and we like to believe it's the most uh, prestigious and difficult, you know, Hall of Fame um, in, you know, to be inducted into. And first and foremost, there are over um, 5 million since the first college game, 1869, more than 5 million have coached or played the game. And there are 0.02% of them in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, just right shy of 1,300. It's amazing. And so the first criteria is first team All-American. And, and that's, you know, there's with a quarterback, there's probably only one, maybe two a year uh, that, are, are, that are actually first team All-America. And then you have to be 10 years out of school. You can't be an active pro. And your school has to nominate you. And that's another um, criteria that people don't realize. It's it's not just a random, you know, hey, we think so-and-so should be in the Hall of Fame. If their school doesn't actually nominate them and put them up for the Hall, then they're never going to be considered for the Hall of Fame. And that, that means they've maintained a good relationship. And from there, we develop the ballot. And that's when it starts going through honors court. So. Mm-hmm. What does it then look like from a, a ceremony standpoint, from an experience standpoint? Does that all happen on site at the Hall of Fame? Could you talk us through what what it's at, what the induction process or the I would say the the event is like? Sure, you know the National Football Foundation is actually you know kind of our what I would say is our governing body, and they um, still handle the selection and induction of Hall of Famers, and we like to say once they're inducted then you know we enshrine them in their permanent home and and then they we build the relationship with them going forward so for example the 2023 class was announced um first week in january during the national championship and really the not a lot is going to go on between now and the start of the football season with that class but during the 2023 season, each player and coach will have an on-campus salute. So they'll go to their school, they'll be recognized during a game and have the opportunity to um, have a little reception and, and just really um, celebrate on their campus this accomplishment. And then from there, the induction ceremony is December 5th this year in Las Vegas. Um, about 2,200 people in attendance. It's a it's a very, very big ceremony. And then once they're officially inducted, we do our enshrinement um, during Peach Bowl weekend. So we fly them all into Atlanta and do a very special dinner in the Hall of Fame. Um, we did jackets this year for the first time. So it was a, a pretty special evening. So that's a, it's a long process, but yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, or Kimberly, can you um, also talk about, because you've already talked about fandom in in terms of people that attend and your guests, um, but fandom in terms of people that might work there. You said that you're a, you're a fan of college football. Um, mm-hmm. What about other people that work there? I'm guessing it's not a prerequisite that you have to be, but does it help? I mean, I think it helps. Um, it's definitely not a prerequisite, as you said. And I also don't want somebody, you know, I don't want to hire somebody that just wants to work here because they love college football, because we're still an attraction. We're still, you know, open to the public. There's still a lot that goes into that. That's not a part of the game. So, but yeah, I think there is just a level of camaraderie 
you know, within the organization around rivalries and around matchups. And when your team's playing my team and it just makes for a lot of fun. Um, I'm a Gator at heart. I started at Florida, graduated from Central Florida, and we just hired a new event coordinator. He started yesterday and he came in here in a Florida state, like pullover, three quarter. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> they won. No. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I say I get paid to talk smack for a living. So even in the off season, it's fun. Can you expand on that a little bit? That uh, how that whether it's that fandom or whether it's the rivalry amongst you know even amongst team members, uh, but that camaraderie and how that really extends and bleeds into the overall culture of of the organization of the venue. That's a really great question. I think that. The best way that I could say to describe that is our fan ambassadors, because they're they're fans just like we are. And they're the ones who are on the front lines interacting with our guests every day. And they're so knowledgeable and they can they can talk about the traditions and they can talk about the passion and they can talk about the rivalries and they can really engage our guests in a way that kind of brings that that feeling that kind of game day emotion kind of brings it to the surface as you're experiencing the Hall of Fame. So I, we like to think our fan ambassadors are our secret sauce um, in that respect. Uh, as it goes throughout the organization, uh, we're all frontline employees at some point. And, and so I think that our passion for college football um, really extends into a passion for the experience. And I think that passion for the experience shines through for our guests. I think along those lines, as you talked about the lifestyle before, I think it's 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 a really interesting connection. And I'm wondering if you can dive a little deeper into that, because I think there's people that look at it from the outside and think, these are just fanatics. These are just fan I don't know. I don't understand why they're so excited about this. Right. So how did college football become so so passion driven and really a lifestyle? You know, I think anything that's associated really first and foremost with your alma mater kind of will always pull at your heartstrings. Um, I think there's a level of competition that just draws people in and it's something that's generational. I, I think it's passed down and that passion just kind of moves and grows from generation to generation. Um, I love seeing families come in and, you know, given where we are geographically, you see, you know, a lot of Georgia fans, obviously, but you'll see, you know, a dad in a Georgia tech shirt, mom in a Georgia shirt, and, you know, the poor kids don't know what to wear. And, and so, you know, I think that it's just because there's so much also to do around the game from tailgating. It's, it's just, you know, you wake up on game day and it's like, okay, let's go. And, you know, you can have activities all the way up to kickoff. And then, you know, it's, uh, you know, a solid 12 hours of, of football on TV, should you choose to consume it that way. <laughs> Kimberly, there was one thing that you mentioned a few minutes ago that I'd love to come back to. And you talked about when we were talking about the, just the, the energy of the staff and that uh, that they, they bring that game day type of energy to uh, to their jobs, which then spills over into the guest experience and that you know whether you're a football fan or not that game day energy is it's exciting right it kind of mm -hmm. just gets your blood pumping your adrenaline going a little bit and is is that what i i would say is is that how guests should feel when they're walking into the museum they know they're coming into a hall of fame it's a museum it's not Maybe, maybe it is game day, but it's not where the games are playing, but being able to really replicate that feeling of walking into the stadium or even just pulling into the parking lot for the tailgate of being able to, to sort of bottle that and encapsulate it and then deliver it through the museum experience. Yeah. I, you know, you hit the nail on the head, right? I mean, you come in, the first, you know, we call our entry area the quad and you, you come in and that's you're greeted by a three-story helmet wall, 775 helmets that represent every four-year institution that has a college football program. And, you know, so people are so excited. Oh, there's my, you know, and they spend all this time trying to find their school or what school is that. And we go through the process of registering them. We light up their helmet. They're, you know, tremendously excited about that. You know, so we, you know, we kick it off with this, you know, really impressive, you know, kind of, you know, wow moment. 
Um, and then you can move on to the field and, and, you know, kind of get your hands dirty and really try some of the skills, um, the skills of college football. Um, and from there, you really kind of just move into and get immersed into, again, um, the things that make game day the best day. And so it's kind of hard not to feel that that passion and that excitement when you hear fight songs being played over and over again, or you hear, you know, there's a line at the game day desk and people are just constantly, you know, choosing their school to win. It creates just this, this natural atmosphere. I will say Tennessee played Georgia tech in the kickoff. And this was like 2017 in the kickoff game. And I think Rocky top must have played like a thousand times just over and over and over again in the building. But that's what, that's what makes it special. So the the experience based on who's there really is living and breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, Absolutely. really cool. Yes. Yeah. There um, so can you also talk a little bit about, if we zoom out a little bit, the location of the Hall of Fame? There's a lot of attractions around you, the Georgia Aquarium and World of Coke and then the, the um, Centennial Plaza. So can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about maybe some some positive things about that location and maybe even some drawbacks? Sure. We definitely, you know, kind of are on opposite sides of the park. We kind of kind of surround the Centennial Olympic Park. I think the best part of having the multiple attractions downtown is it offers a variety of things for people to do. And we are very blessed and fortunate to be a part of City Pass. And so, you know, someone who definitely knows they want to go to the, the aquarium and probably want to go to the World of Coke, but maybe aren't as familiar with us because of our proximity and because we're a part of City Pass, they're going to give us a shot and then they're going to be blown away and they're going to tell two friends and so on and so on. And, and so that is definitely um, a positive. You know, I think that the only drawback is, you know, people have a limited amount of time, right? And if they can only do two or they can only do one, how do you, you know, elevate yourself in that consideration set? Hmm. Can you talk about your relationship with the leaders of those other attractions? Is it more collaborative than competitive? Absolutely. And, um, you know, the aquarium, the Children's Museum, the Center for Center for Civil and Human Rights, sorry, the Center for Civil and Human Rights, um, us, we're all nonprofit. And so as nonprofits, you know, it's definitely very collaborative and definitely, um, especially as we moved through COVID together, you know, we were on calls weekly, you know, are you, you know, what's your protocol? What are you going to do? How are you doing this? What does your staff say? What, you know, it was as much about our team and our team members as it was about our guests. So extremely, extremely um, collaborative and friendly and the whole rising tide lifts all ships. You know, we come together um, with an organization called the Centennial Park District, and it's about bringing more people to the area. And the more people we can collectively bring to the area, the more it's going to benefit all of us. Yeah. Kind of like Central Florida with all those attractions there, right? The more people that come to Florida, it's probably going to benefit everybody um, along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So one of the things that I was curious about was, you know, when you think about the Hall of Fame and you think about the people that are coming there and you think about, of course, the staff, is your leadership style? Um, Thinking about you, you said I get to talk smack for a living. So that's a little, little irreverent and something you wouldn't hear necessarily at a different organization, which is kind of cool. Um, but can you talk a little bit about how your leadership style has developed over the years, even if it's through positions before you got to the CEO role? Um, absolutely. I'd like to say um, that in general, my leadership style is work hard, play hard. You know, we're we're here to have we're here to deliver a wonderful time to our guests and we should enjoy doing it. And but it's a job and we've got work to do and we have goals to meet. And so I'm very much work hard, play hard every now and then. I have to remind people it's not play hard, work hard. It's, it's the other way around. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a pretty hands off in terms of micromanaging. Um, but I will say that, you know, I believe in leading with confidence, courage, conviction, and compassion. And if I would say that the compassion and is probably the one that has developed the most 
in my leadership style. And whether that's from becoming a mother or, you know, just, you know, life experiences, right? Um, I think I'm a much more compassionate leader today than I was even, you know, five years ago, quite frankly. For people who might be watching or listening to this, who are aspiring to reach a senior level or executive role, uh, what type of advice do you like to give that you perhaps have found beneficial that you like to impart on others? You know, I think I, I mentioned, right, the, the four C's, compassion, courage, conviction, and uh, competence. That's a big one. Know, know your stuff, right? I think that is number one. Um, I think courage, a, a great example um, of courage was we, you know, and again, leaning in into COVID, I mean, there's so many experiences that came from that, but we were past that, right? We were back open, but things, things were rough. And there was, you know, a segment of our board that felt like, well, maybe we should just close our doors and, and let things come back, you know, and quit fighting this battle um, and then kind of live to fight another day. And I felt very, very convicted that that was the wrong thing to do out of sight, out of mind. We have partners, we have, you know, team members that we're keeping employed. And I felt like it was really, really critical for us to stay. Um, open and, and trying to, you know, put one foot in front of the other. Um, my leadership team took a pay cut to be able to do that. And, you know, and we made it right. And we ran the numbers. We convinced the board to let us do it. And we hung on long enough and the shuttered venue grant came through, um, which was a little bit unexpected um, that they opened that up to nonprofits that have a theater which we do. And so once that came through, you know, we were in, in a great place to continue to build on the experience and not just kind of sit back and, and wait for normal, whatever that may be again. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you really believe something is the right path, then you've got to have the courage to, to fight for it. And, you know, the courage to, um, you know, just kind of stand your ground um, in a respectful way. Um, but you also have the competent, you need the competence to, you know, put it all on paper and, and you know, hope isn't a strategy, right? <laughs> we got a plan, so. Yeah. Kimberly, I think we could do a whole episode just on your four C's and just dive into those. I think this, that would be fascinating. But there's two that I want to touch on a little bit because in the work that I get to do and I talk to a lot of different leaders, you know, we talk about balance, right? And mm -hmm. there's, there's, a, there's a healthy balance between all the things that, that we do. And certainly I would imagine that you see a balance in all those four C's. And the two that kind of stick out to me are compassion and conviction, mm -hmm. um, because I think in some ways they could almost be opposites, right? Or they could be construed that way depending mm -hmm. on how you're interacting with your team. So I'm curious how you balance those when you're focused on obviously getting the best out of your team, moving forward, you know, creative ideas and those type of things um, and balancing, especially those two competencies. Great question. I think that when I, when I think of conviction, for the most part, it is focused on the business and decisions that are pushing the business forward. Um, yes, sometimes that, make requires you to make difficult decisions, whether it's having to let someone go or having to go, you know, in a different direction with, you know, an agency partner that's been with you for a very long time. Um, that's kind of where then the compassion comes in because you have to have those conversations in the, in the very best, very best possible way. I mean, I, we're all human beings. And so I want to deliver the message in the way I want it heard or way I want it to come to me. And so I think that that's where the two kind of blend is, yes, you might have to make a tough decision and, and you're, you know, the courage of your conviction says it's the right thing to do, but you can always do it with the utmost of, you know, compassion for people. Hmm. Yeah. And then it sounds like instead of contradicting each other, they can actually balance and probably help move forward with those tough decisions. You've got the tough decision. You know, you need to do it. Mm -hmm. You need to go with conviction. Maybe the compassion side is thinking about the repercussions of it, mm -hmm. but sort of blending those together allows it, allows the tough decision probably to not only be made, but be made 
with the compassion in mind so that those who are impacted from it perhaps don't necessarily feel it being so rough if the compassion part of it wasn't part of that. Yeah, I mean, we can't deny that the business decisions we make are ultimately going to affect the people that work, you know, in the business. And so, you know, as long as things are rosy and the decisions are great and, hey, let's have bonuses and and do all these things, you know, um, it's easy. But it's when it gets tough and, you know, whether you're downsizing or, you know, cutting pay or whatever, you know, that may be just doing it in, you know, the way you would want to be treated. Yeah. Well, Kimberly, I would love to kind of dive in also to talk a little bit about what's what's coming next, right? What's new for the um, for the Hall of Fame? What mm-hmm. are you looking forward to? What are things that you're uh, are kind of on your plate in terms of initiatives? Um, and just kind of give us a sense of what's the future. You know, a great question also, and I'm super excited for the future. One, um, you know, the big focus for me is our, our status as a nonprofit and making sure that we are operating within the best practices of other nonprofit, especially halls of fame. Um, we did not open necessarily that way. We opened more like a traditional, you know, sports property, um, you know, entertainment property, Um, And so the focus on building a donor program, the focus on building membership programs, um, annual giving, all those things that really fuel a nonprofit, um, that has been, you know, that was my plan, you know, kind of going into the role of CEO. And now that, you know, we're kind of, you know, on the other side of things, um, I hired a VP of development. Um, We now have a development manager. So we've never had a development staff in the history of the Hall of Fame. And now we have two people. So for me, I'm all in on um, building a very sustainable um, and successful fundraising program that includes major donors. You know, it includes grants. It includes memberships and annual giving and delivering you know, the value back for that, right? We're not just going to go ask for it, you know, for nothing. So it'll be fun to build those programs and to give give back, you know, whether it's, you know, educational programs for the grant side or the fun things we do for our members, you know, that's the good part. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, so Kimberly, you did mention briefly that you are a college football fan. Can we <laughs> come back to that a little bit? Can we talk about I would say your fandom, how you became a fan, and even how you bring that game day energy every single day. <laughs> sure. You know, I became a fan, you know, I think of all sports growing up. I was an only child. So, you know, I watched sports with my dad, um, you know, every weekend, whether it was wrestling or boxing or football or, you know, Miami Dolphins were my team. Um, so you're just very immersed in it. Uh, and then, you know, I think I just think I chose Florida young um, because my aunt went to Florida State and I wanted to be, you know, contra- you know, I wanted to, to be a little bit uh, adversarial there and kind of have some of that fun banter. And, uh, you know, that just stuck with me, you know, been a, a Gator fan for life. And uh, I think I just the competition and kind of that the drive and what it takes to succeed um, within the sport of college football, within team sports, within um, is very parallel to business. And so kind of bringing that passion uh, again, I tell people we're we're having fun here, right? We're not busting rocks. Um, So um, it's people wear their gear, you know, people again, talk smack and, uh, and we have a lot of fun doing it. So that's awesome. Uh, Kimberly, I just happened to notice behind you, there's a broom on the um, credenza behind you. And I would love to hear the story behind that. Okay. So you asked about culture. And I think this is a, a great example of our culture. We do have a fantasy football team, a fantasy football league that that we play. And I just, for the record, was the 2022 champion. Just whatever. Get that out there. Yeah. Um, and then so and our fan ambassadors are in the league. So it supports staff, fan ambassadors. It's a, it's really a lot of fun. And um, I ended up having to play this one fan ambassador three times, twice in the regular season, once in the playoffs, and I lost all three. 
And so he presented me with the broom <laughs> uh, in front of the staff. He's got, let me see, three and O on it. You know, not all rivalries are lopsided. <laughs> I proudly display my broom from um, our fan ambassador, Jamel. So <laughs> that's great. Very fun. Yep. Yeah. Um, Kimberly, this has been uh, just such a, a fascinating conversation. We really appreciate the chance to talk to you today. As we start to wind this down here and uh, get into the end zone, I'll just say it. <laughs> so we're, in the, we're in the red zone right now. So. Right, we're in the red okay. zone here. Uh, if people want to learn more about the College Football Hall of Fame or if they want to uh, get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? I would send them to LinkedIn to get a hold of me directly. You know, it's the easiest way. And, and you can put that in the show notes. Um, and then to learn more about the College Football Hall of Fame, it, our website is cfbhall.com. That's the best place to go. And if you really want to learn more about us, then you got to come visit. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, like Josh said, this has been a great conversation. Kimberly, I'm wondering if you have any sort of last words for um, leaders in the industry or people that, um, you know, are, are looking to uh, grow their career. I know earlier you talked about your four C's and, and you have to have knowledge, but anything else that you would kind of add to that? You know, definitely, if you're going to be in this industry, you have to love this industry and you have to love people. And I think that choose your, your industry and your paths carefully by, by virtue of what fills you up and doesn't drain you. And for me, you know, people in this organization and going into the Hall of Fame, that fills me up. And, you know, I think that's what allows me to, you know, give it everything that I do. And I think if that, if, somebody wasn't necessarily inclined to the hospitality space, then, then it would be very draining and very difficult. Um, so that kind of goes into the follow your passion and really learn what it is that, that brings you joy and what it is that you don't want to do. I tell a lot of young people, you know, take a job, you know, don't just sit around waiting for the perfect job, take a job because you will either learn that you want to do it, or you will very quickly learn that you do not want to do it. And that's just as valuable as you move around in your career to know what you don't want to do. So, yeah, that is great advice. Uh, thank you so much. And a great note to end on as well. So Kimberly, thank you again so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. And for everyone out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.